Maine, a place where you can find breathtaking scenery from sandy beaches, ice-capped mountains, and pristine lakes. A place you can enjoy a delicious lobster while sipping on one of Maine's finest craft brews and saving room for a blueberry pie. But the one thing many people may not know about Maine is the artistry and craftsmanship that comes with the culture of this beautiful state. From the Industrial Revolution to now, Maine has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are hundreds of them. Maine has makers that can handcraft a high-quality piece of wood furniture where the joinery fits like a glove. So a skirt made with plant-based fabric with a New England-made machine that was invented in 1881. Make a mean mustard through a cold grind process made in the same mill since 1900, and much more. Join me for a journey through the lives of makers from across Maine to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Christian Vermeulen, and this is Makers of Maine. Picture this. You are standing on top of a hill, seeing the sun gleaming and reflecting off the river below. The breeze stirs up the branches of the trees, and you feel the breeze against your skin, and strands of your hair go along the rhythmic beat of the wind. You hear boats passing by, and one drives up to a floating dock you can see sort of hidden as the trees block some of its view. This isn't just any floating dock, as it looks like a floating cottage on the water, and you wonder, What is going on in that floating cottage? Well, they're calling oysters and picking out the perfect shaped oysters to provide to their customers. And where does this sit? Right along the Damariscotta River. My husband was telling me memories he had growing up near Damariscotta in a town called Jefferson. He would tell me he would drive up and down the back roads when going to work in Booth Bay. He was actually teaching sailing at a hotel there at the time. And his dad would dive for scallops in the river as well. And um, my husband mentioned that there was lots of oyster farms along this river. So I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive and getting to know more about these oyster farms. Uh, And come to find out, I mean, Damariscotta is such a working waterfront. It's unbelievable. And one maker that I've stumbled upon and I've drove past plenty of times traveling to my in-laws is Glen Point Oyster Farms. The farm was established in 1987 by a marine biologist who believed the only way to grow an oyster was to grow a great one. For 30 years, this oyster farm has been providing perfect oysters to chefs, wholesalers, and individuals across the nation. I had a great conversation with Ryan McPherson, who bought Glidden Point five years ago. He had no experience with oysters and farming, but he learned the craft over time and has built a team to carry their perfect oyster legacy across the nation. Ryan and his team worked hard to clean up the oyster farm when he bought it, and they are now growing millions of oysters. And not only do they heavily promote their gems, which are their very popular oysters, but they also sell other oysters that are grown along the river, including wilds and brickyards. Glidden Point has the only oyster tasting room along the river. And after visiting this place, it is truly a landmark you don't want to miss. Now, let's talk craft with Ryan McPherson with Glidden Point Oyster Farms. All right. So thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the Makers of Maine podcast today. I'm so honored to have you on as I've heard so many great things about your oysters. Um, so tell me, what it inspired you to start your oyster farm and really what's the craft behind it? <laughs> um, for me, I was in the fisheries down in Massachusetts and um, I was looking for an opportunity to grow oysters um, and happened that there was a farm up here. Glidden Point was... Um, available uh not necessarily listed for sale but there's an opportunity there to take over and um that's how i got into it just pursued 
pursued the passion to grow and ended up up here. Nice. So, um, were you a marine biologist or like, or anything? Because I know um, from reading on your website, I know that the farm was it started by a marine biologist. That's correct. It was started by uh, Kevin and Barbara Scully, and um, <clears throat> Barb Barb Scully was a marine biologist and worked for the um, Division of Marine Resources. And um, no, I was not. I was a um, just a. <clears throat> business entrepreneur major down at Hofstra University and then uh, took my love for the sea and just was fishing for um, anything and everything. And then um, I knew aquaculture had a little bit more of a uh, stabler business side to it. Um, right. So just follow, followed that course to, uh, to, uh, to, to grow in oysters. Oh, that's great. I, I have such a love for oysters as I um, grew up down in Maryland actually. And grew up eating uh, shinkatig oysters. And uh, when I came to Maine, I found that the oysters here were a lot smaller and just the taste of them were a lot saltier. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit more about the education behind, behind oysters and like what the difference is um, with Maine oysters compared to others that are along the East Coast. I mean, I know there's others like on the West Coast and throughout the world, but would love just some education behind that. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot in that, in that question. And Basically, uh, oysters are a product of the place uh, they are grown and the practices that we used to grow them. Um, and so that can be as uh, at the level of main waters, the state waters here are just made are different than the state waters of Maryland or something like that. So we'd have some colder, uh, arguably cleaner water here um and the oysters would have um different food sources they're eating different algae up here so so that that would be um you would see the result of that in the taste of the oyster the practices we use um that's based on where they are uh where the farms are specifically where the sites are and so sometimes um well the damascata where we grow is a highlights it pretty well. Um, us at Glidden Point, we, the practices that we use are not used by everybody on the river. Um, so within like one mile from us, somebody is raising oysters in a different way. And there, and, um, it just results in a different looking product and, mm -hmm. and, and taste, um, would change as well, even though we're very close in proximity. So, Hmm, that's and that would be resulted in every, you know, every estuary that they're grown in, in, right. the, in the country. Yeah. I, I was, okay. I totally get it now. So when, how did you go about like organizing this oyster farm? So like, was the oyster farm already stood up at Glidden Point and you kind of just took it over and just managed it and refined it? Or did you have to start from scratch? <laughs> um, the oyster farm had uh when we took over um basically the business was changing so there's a lot more brokerage we were the business there's like a, a wholesale side of the business and that side had been carrying the farm for a period of probably like 10 years and so the opportunity was really to go back in organize our beds uh our oyster beds and then come up with a system that we were able to um, 
continue to grow moving forward. So that was re that's really been the task at hand uh, for the past five years is to harvest the oysters that we do have, create some systems, build a team, and um, keep keep moving forward. And how many oysters are you guys, I guess, collecting every year? Because I know you have your own like oyster shop, um, and you guys are located in Edgecombe, right? That's correct. And um, then you also have um, wholesalers. So like how many oysters are you going through every, I mean, every season? I mean, there, there is an oyster season too, right? <laughs> <laughs> we go through about a million oysters a year. Um, wow. And that's sometimes it's better years and sometimes there's uh, worse years. Um, so that's, that's what we usually goes through our, our farm. And then um, seasons, there's uh, sometimes there's seasonality uh, in terms of our harvesting that would, if we get iced where the river ice is over completely, which hasn't happened for us, uh, we've been able to, the past five years we've been able to serve oysters uh every week of the year the past wow. five years but there is a potential that we do not there's a couple of weeks where it gets to be in question yeah that's crazy that's a <laughs> lot of oysters and do you find that the warmer climate is affecting you know how you uh, collect oysters like is it benefiting you or do you see it like kind of not benefiting you i'm just curious to hear mm -hmm. about that um, the climate, the, the, the change in climate is just, um, a roller coaster that's becoming a little bit more, um, has higher peaks and lower lows. So, um, we haven't seen a large benefit and we can only see risk really in the change. Um, so just a little bit stronger storms in the fall, you know, where our gear gets, um, our gear gets messed up out on the water and then our our shoreside facility gets you know lose power so we're starting to just see like stronger storms a little bit bigger tides and um in that trend we don't do the climate change we don't see that slowing down at any point so yeah that's good to hear um so can you tell me how does one go about starting an oyster farm and can you tell me the process of how you guys go out into the water to get the oysters from um, your farm, collecting them, like the whole process, like just collecting them and bringing them back to your store. And then like, I'm sure there's like a cleaning process and all of that. And then you ship them out, right? I would just love to hear more about it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of handles there to talk about. I think um, overall, the least, the, the process to, um, if you were to go about starting one, uh, a farm, um, the resource is the Division of Marine Resources um, has all of the uh, bylaws and applications um, there, and it's it's dynamic. It's approachable, but dynamic. Um, so there's there's three different uh, ways to go about it. One is to get a limited purpose aquaculture license, and that's to usually the first step is to experiment on the feasibility of the oysters grow in an area that you believe they will grow in. Um, so that can be in your backyard um, or in a spot like the Damascata where it's proven that oysters can grow here. Mm -hmm. So that's like kind of your first step. And then you can, you could get an experimental lease as well. That's um, and those terms are different. It's like up to three to five year 
that's for three, three to five acres, um, you can lease. And that's usually based around a hypothesis, again, that you're going to try to use a certain type of gear in a certain type of place. And mm-hmm. then once you maximize that, you can get a standard lease. Um, standard lease is a little bit more involved. It's uh, longer terms, um, variety of different gear you can use public hearing um and you have to make sure that uh there's a lot of more boxes to check off just because of its wow. involvement yeah that is a lot <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot there it takes a, it takes a you know it does take uh potentially years to go through to get these things um right. and i you know i have to go hand it out to our, our division of marine resources up here in maine um i was able um, i had operated in in Massachusetts and other states and, and up here, they're, they're extremely, uh, extremely for you and for the farmer, uh, organization, you know? So I think uh, they've done a great job managing the, uh, the trend that's coming at them. Um, it's, there's just a lot more farms. That's great. Grabbing onto grabbing on the opportunity. So they've, they've done a great job, but you have to be patient. You know, it's not, I'm sure these things are, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot there for, for, for everybody, for the farmer to, to, to put together and then for the, the resource to be managed in the right way. So right. Um, be patient if you're trying to yeah. get going in the process. <laughs> That's good to know. Good tip for anybody who's <laughs> starting an oyster farm here in Maine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So about, um, in regards to the handling of the oysters and how you go about that process of getting them out to your customers, um, what is the process for that? Okay, so for the farm process, the farm process would start when we get, we buy seed, uh, what we call seed, which is baby oysters. Mm -hmm. We buy those, there's two uh, approved hatcheries um, in the state of Maine. Um, And we buy from the hatchery. And we get those in at two millimeters big. Um, so they look like quinoa. Wow. Tiny. Super small. <laughs> uh, and those can come pretty much end of May. Um, we get those in into June. And that's, uh, so we get the call. We get the call. Our oysters are ready. We pick them up. Every year we pick up between three to six million oysters, um, depending on the year. And what, and what we're up to in our farm process. But we pick those up and we start those in an upweller um, at a dock in the town of Damascata. And the upweller is just looks like a regular float um, off a pier, you know, something you tie your boat to. Mm-hmm. And underneath it is a little recirculating system, very basic, but um, it allows us to pump the water that's already right there just in, just increase the flow of it um through like a upwelling system and that and that will get our oysters from two millimeters to a quarter inch big and that happens usually within three to four weeks uh we can get all of those oysters that are in that system up to a quarter inch once they're a quarter inch they go from our upweller they go to our nursery site our nursery site is in um is just is just uh half a mile away from our upweller um on the upper damascotta river and that site we use floating bags um so they're they're just uh plastic bags with two float floating pontoons on each side each one of the bags holds 800 500 
it's like 500 to a thousand oysters, depending on wow. when we put them out there. And they stay out there from a quarter inch big until the, until thanks, until um, Thanksgiving between Halloween and Thanksgiving of that same year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and at, at that time, we'll know how good our grow season was. So some of the product will still be a quarter inch big. Right. And some of it will be upwards to two inches big in a good year. Right. At that time, the product that the oysters that are bigger, around one and a half to two inches, will bring that downriver again. So another three miles downriver is another lease of ours, another oyster bed of ours. Mm-hmm. And that is all underneath the surface on the bottom. And so we open up those bags. Usually around Halloween, we start doing this. We open up the bags and we just empty them out onto the bottom. Um, and so they just free fall through the water column, land on the bottom. And then we measure how many oysters really per square foot. We do some math and that's the area that we're, we're in. And that's what creates the bed. Um, and so we leave that, those oysters down there for another full year. Um, and they're just growing. And then we go back to, so we go back to that bed and how we harvest them is we 99% of the time we, we harvest by scuba diver. Oh, so wow. A scuba diver will, uh, go down and, uh, they're just using tanks. Um, in the winter, we usually send somebody with them on the boat to just for safety in the summer, they can go alone. Um, and they fill up, uh, dive bags. Um, and so, you know, up every tank, every hour they can harvest, um, uh, you know, upwards of a couple thousand oysters an hour. Oh my uh, goodness. So they go out and do that. And then they bring those oysters back to our, 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 our shoreside facility. And that's at the, uh, 637 river road mm-hmm. in Edgecombe. And at the dock there, we sort out those oysters they brought in by size and shape. It's culling. It's just making sure everything matches up. And then we store them there at the dock in the water, all sorted out, ready to ready for the orders to come in. And so then the last piece of the puzzle is we get the orders in. And once we get the orders in, we go down to the dock as a team. Um, pretty much every day of the week and we wash them one more time to make sure they're super clean and bag them up. And those go on a truck to get distributed throughout the country or, uh, into a, into a box and ship FedEx or, uh, around the nation as well. Wow. Oh my goodness. And how many wholesale accounts do you guys have? Wholesale accounts. Um, we have around 50 active wholesale well, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. And so um, do you sell just the oysters? Do you happen to have other like accessories that go along with the oysters when you go and sell them as well? In our wholesale business, it's just, it's just the oysters. Um, and then last year, uh, so we sell all our Glidden Point product. And then we sell some oysters from the river, our fellow growers here in the river. Last year, um, through some... Through some of the programs in Maine, through the the work of the Island Institutes and the work with um, coastal enterprises, um, we 
we're introduced to the farmers that are just getting going and we realized we had some of the distribution set up that um that uh was in need to get some of the, the smaller growers as they were get to their product to market um and so we were able to fill a void a little bit um we saw the demand from our customers that they wanted some other oysters from maine and we were able to kind of fill that fill that void so we were able to add that um last year so oh, but awesome. no other accessory products to our wholesalers okay and then how about to your customers like um do you happen to have like um shocking knives that you um like a beginner's i guess uh package for those who are um not into like oyster are they wanting to get into oysters <laughs> yeah exactly so 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 the so we have for the wholesale and then we have direct to chef so then we do the kind of the same thing but we service the direct to chef overnight via fedex throughout the country and that's um and that's a um a few that's another like 50 accounts on that side that that just have the relation straight with us um uh so then we have that and then the other piece of business is our online store and the retail store at the farm and those are the parts that are growing the fastest and those that's the section of business where we do have the um the, more the merchandise and the tools and accessories to uh, make oysters uh more approachable to the end consumer nice and tell me about your team um, so i know you mentioned that um scuba diving is a part of the process and collecting the oysters and looking at your website i've seen a, a lot of your team um handles that and how did you find these guys like did they have experience doing this before did they learn um how to do it when joining your business yeah the team i i think that to rewind the aquaculture different than the fisheries or maybe just like the single boat owner fisheries mm -hmm. um team is the element that, that i didn't have in the fisheries that the energy or the energy that a team gives you is just resilient and um it just has a bigger impact probably overall um so that's something that was ingrained in what i wanted to do when I came up here is to put together a team. Um, so that, that, that was a priority when I first showed up. Um, I was able to, in the business, when I bought Glidden Point, um, Jonathan Turcott was working at the farm and he filled, he had um, just started working at the oyster farm and he was just uh, a great, just the, the absolute perfect fit for what, we needed um each other to uh take it to the next step so that was just just luck um and without him we would not be where we are today um he, since five years ago he's filled every single task to be done um on, on the farm and the wholesale business and the bookkeeping and the website and the everything so um that was that was just pure of luck uh <laughs> in, in the purchase of the, of the farm that's great and, and then we quickly we quickly um we quickly had some you know friends and family come and just kind of get us through the first couple of years um uh, so i'm forever indebted to them uh, because you just put on a lot of fires a lot of unknowns um so, so there's a there's a team that kind of came through in the first couple of years to, to make that happen and we all we all bled a little bit and we definitely sweat and then 
and then uh, our, our next hire was um, John Clapp, who's our farm manager. John is from um, Northport, Maine, and he was uh, managing a farm down in Duxbury, Mass. When I met him, and uh, just uh, tried to convince him the best I could to come up here to Maine and um, <laughs> and give this a shot. And um, we've been super lucky to have him. He's very smart, uh, super talented, and I just look forward to what he should be able to do with this farm uh, up here. It's just great to watch him put the, put the pieces together. Um, oh, I'm sure. Overall. And then we have uh, Sarah Chow who came on last year, last spring, and she's done our, um, really our sales and marketing, the whole, the whole thing. Um, she, and, and a lot of the operations behind it too. And so she's done just a great job and that, position is ever dynamic we are under resourced and um there's not enough time in the day to get done uh what we want to get done there so she's just done a phenomenal job uh overall and that's that's the core team our retail shop um we have great summer staff it changes it's changed every year we've had some some of the team that's worked in the farm kind of go up to the retail shop overall um but right now we have uh, allison blake who was on the farm last year she came up to um fill a void uh, for some leadership into our retail shop right now. And her list is fully stacked today. And uh, we're just, we're just trying to deal with what we got uh, at hand every day there. Oh, I'm sure. And so tell me, has the um, COVID pandemic affected your work or affected um, your business at all? And I'd love to hear about that too. For sure. Yes. Um, All, all aspects. Um, You know, we go from one, meeting in March trying to get into our products into the hands of some of the best chefs in the country and then we we get word that we're essential you know we're an essential business to provide food and then there's no no real um of those restaurants open and so and so um but with the lean uh, smart team, we were, we were able to uh, just adjust. And, you know, we had the backbones of the e-commerce business there. We've, we've, we've had a website for, mm-hmm. for more than five years that, um, that did some business. Most of that business was customers that came here in the summer that would buy this buy product for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we just kind of went in there and um, just started connecting the dots with everybody, you know, just putting out the emails and um, put some attention to the e-commerce and try to do some partnerships with um, some partnerships that we had already had lined up. There's a, there's um, an event planner um, extraordinaire down in Boston who is going to run the East East Boston oyster company to do pop-up events. And she, and she just wanted to uh, provide oysters. So we were able to pair up with her. We were able to do a couple little collaborations. We were able to do a, a, part of the, the lost kitchens farmers market and oh, uh, all those little ones kind of kept the lights on as we were figuring out the e-commerce side of things. Um, so, so here we are in the middle of the summer and you know, some, there's a roller coaster of wholesale accounts open and closing right. and restaurants opening and closing. So we're here for the, we're here for our customers when, when they're ready. <laughs> uh, not, not trying not to push them, trying to make it as easy as possible and just get them oysters when they want them. Oh, and yeah. then at the same time, we're just trying to get some planning of, um, you know, how we're going to keep the lights on through the winter and, um, 
and, and we're just keeping a pretty short focus right now. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty much day to day and now it's week to week, maybe month by month. Um, so it's, <laughs> we're not trying to get too far ahead of ourselves yet. Yeah, I totally get it. I think every business is going through that right now. Um, so is your tasting room open currently? Are you guys um, offering that up right now? Or are you guys just doing like um, takeout like service for customers? Both. Yeah. So our ta- we have a patio set up. So everything's outside. Um, you can com- come right to the farm and you can order some oysters and we'll teach you how to shuck. And it's some peace and quiet right out on our patio. Um, you can kind of observe all the the farm team getting their getting their tasks done. You can take a walk down to the pier just to see what we're doing. Um, it's pretty mellow. Uh, we want to keep everybody kind of spaced out and and keep that uh, at bay. And then we have um, you can also just show up and take oysters to go home. And you could also order oysters um, online to be picked up to go home as well, which is the easiest way to to do it, just to have less interaction, a little bit smoother operation. Yeah. Oh, that's great that they're offering both right now. And uh, so I'll definitely uh, link your website and uh, social media handles for folks that are listening in so they can figure out where you're at and definitely enjoy some oysters at your spot. Yeah. Um, so tell me, how do you shuck an oyster? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, here we go, right? These are the, all the, this is where our effort is right now. It's like teaching people how to shuck right I think the, the over the overarching thing with shucking one as oyster farmers we don't shuck that many oysters we sell them in That's their true. shell and we send them right. to <laughs> these great shuckers around the country that shuck a lot more than we do so that's like one so we're, we're not we don't claim to be the best every oyster is different the whole experience of like shucking an oyster is like just it takes some time you know everything's different and it's never perfect it's just it's just, that's part of the, the framework of opening an oyster. So there's all different knives you can use. You can use gloves and kitchen towels, but um, that's what it is. And, and so you don't have to, a lot of times when we teach people, they want to know if it's perfect or done the right way. And it's, and it's like an art of it. It's an art of its own. So just, right. that's, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, so how I, how one, you can, you, you get a good knife. Um, there are a variety of different knives. Different knives are better for certain oysters or not. Uh, um, so we use these um, knives made by R. Murphy up here at the farm. They have different blades. We use um, I use a Duxbury blade actually a, a, a quite frequently. Hmm. For our oysters, you get a you get an oyster in your hand. The hinge is the spot that you want to uh, put the knife into, and I I usually do everything just right in my hand and. I put that hinge, uh, the knife point into the hinge, and I get it in there enough. It's like a soft spot. It'd be like it'd feel like if you were putting your knife like into your thumb muscle. Mm-hmm. And so you get into that soft spot, but you you pierce in there in the oyster, and you can hold it up like a lollipop. And that's when you know you you're in the right spot. And now all you have to do is apply a little bit of pressure and a twist, and the 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 shells will separate. You'll hear them separate. And you can see it separate at that point you just run the knife right across the top of the oyster and that will cut off the muscle on the top so then you now you're left with an oyster on the half shell and you cut off the muscle on the bottom of the oyster and you're ready to enjoy it 
It sounds so simple when you're talking about it in the audio. So I actually learned how to shuck an oyster um, down in Maryland. But my uncle taught me, and I found that Maryland oysters are so much easier to shuck compared to Maine. Oh, <laughs> there's so much, I don't. I think it's because maybe they're bigger down in Maryland, but Maine they're so much smaller. And so I've tried. I mean, I I'm not an expert at it, but man, like I try so hard and. It is a challenge. So I am looking forward to uh, learning more and uh, about your, your tips and tricks of the trade. So I'm going to have to try again. <laughs> yeah, come on up. We have a, a great staff that can show you some tips and pointers. And then it's like everything else. It's just numbers. So you just need to start eating more and shucking more. Exactly. <laughs> it's all about practice, right? That's right. And so um, are there other ways of eating oysters um, other than just raw? Like what have you done personally when you um, go and uh, eat oysters? Personally, I, I do like for ours, I do enjoy them raw a majority of the time. Um, you know, most of the time it's sharing with our, our customers or um, friends and family when we host them here to, that's probably when I'm eating oysters the most now, uh, unless it's in quality control um, times. Um, and yeah, so if you're not, if you don't want to enjoy them raw, there's different uh, mignonettes and cocktail sauces and hot sauces and items you can put on the raw oyster, which, which are all great. And it's that arena is becoming, um, a, like a little bit more creative. There's starting to be just more and more toppings. Um, so we try to provide those and, uh, at the farm, mm-hmm. you can order them online as well. And then if you're don't, if you don't enjoy them raw or, or you want to try something different, um, we were really just looking up to our fellow farmers on the West Coast to do a lot more grilling uh, of the mm-hmm. oysters. And um, so what, what, we are, what we offer online is uh, what we do at home here um, is uh, we, team, we, we have some Casco Bay butter. Some, and they mm-hmm. have, and what you do is you just, you can either put the oyster on the grill shucked, which is, which is what I do. If you mm-hmm. don't want to shuck it, you can put it on the grill and it will, it will open up on its own. And then you have to pick it up and take off the, the muscle part, but it, could, it would open up on its own. And then you just apply some butter to it and let it melt down uh, over the grill. And then you can enjoy them that way. And it's, it's a really great product. Man, that sounds amazing. I actually had a grilled oyster when I was in New Orleans. Um, and it was my first time ever having that. And I was like, wow, I didn't think I was going to like this, but this is really good. Um, so yeah, that's great that you guys have that. Cause, uh, I, I, I didn't even think about like, how do you do that? Like, cause I've always wanted to do my own, but I guess I'm going to have to teach myself now. So I'm glad to hear that you guys been trying it out too. Um, so my last question I usually ask all my guests is, uh, why Maine? So why start a business in Maine? Why buy a business in Maine? And has Maine helped your brand at all? Um, Maine, I think I'll go back to the, you know, our original question and what makes up an oyster really. It's the place and the practices that we use. Um, so the place, everything that we do, I, we have to credit to the state of Maine and, and our, our little um, community and um, ecosystem up here uh, on the Damariscada. So that is everything that we do. We're just lucky enough to, to move them around a little bit within that and, and to bring them to the, bring them to our customers. But it's really, that's all Maine. That's, um, that's everybody from the neighbors along the river to um, the way that we manage our resources up here to, really every every nitty-gritty detail uh, is Maine 
And so we're, we're, we, 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 our product is just a direct reflection of all of those things um, that are there. And then, you know, the people that um, make it all happen here, I think it's uh, engraved in a manner to, you know, to, 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 to work through the challenges that, that come up in, in, in what we do and to work on the water and to solve the problems that um, come up on the water. And that's really the, uh, the ultimate like lifestyle that we, we live here is to provide food that comes from our resources. Ryan and his team are organizing events for the rest of the summer and into the fall, including outside dinners with popular chefs located in New England. And starting in September, every Sunday, John Mary from Riverhouse will be showing up at Glidden Point with his portable wood-fired pizza oven. He'll be vending pizza, burgers, and wedge salads. I will link their website and social media handles on our website so you can learn more about their great business, their oyster farm, as well as the events coming up in the near future. If you would like to see visuals of their wonderful products, please follow Makers of Maine on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this interview and others on this podcast, please subscribe and also leave a rating on our Facebook and Apple Podcasts. Also, a reminder that we are actually partnering up with Maine Crafts Association for their Maine Crafts Weekend, which is the first weekend in October. I will be interviewing a handful of their members and talking through of their journeys of being an artist and a maker in the area and our journey into these towns where they're located. We are very excited for this partnership and please tune in for that um, episode later on this month. And now for a featured musician is the Ballroom Thieves. When Ryan and I uh, got together uh, for his photo shoot with him and his team, he told me about uh, the Ballroom Thieves and how us a couple of the individuals from the band uh, were going to get married at his location, but due to COVID, unfortunately, they had to cancel. Uh, so I had to look them up. Honestly, I've never heard of them before, but they're a very well-known indie uh, rock band, um, no nationwide, but they actually live and reside in Maine. Um, so the individuals that are a part of this band are Martin Earley, Callie Peters, and Devin Mulch. And they all are the vocals behind the band, um, but each individual focuses on a certain instrument. Uh, Callie's into the cello and bass, Martin's is a guitarist, and Devin is a percussionist. What I find fascinating about their music is that they talk about various subjects, including greed, inequality, privilege, and narcissism, and as light as fulfillment and adoration. And they speak from the heart, and they're very honest and truly authentic. I actually got to speak to Martin a little bit and get to know him as an artist. Um, so he's actually not from Maine. He is from Switzerland. And back in 2012, he got laid off from his desk job, unfortunately. But hey, it turned into this lovely band and his music is outstanding. Um, and I feel like you guys should definitely take a listen to their fabulous music. I will list their website as well as social media handles on the website. And this is my favorite single, Vanity Trip. Thank you all again for tuning in and stay safe and healthy. It's getting harder not to see myself up on the TV. It's getting harder not to see myself up in the cloud. Ain't nobody ever mentioned anything that could save me no more. I will wait by your door because I'm living, living, living.
The shepherd's a wolf and the wolves are loose Was born a million men, but I will die as one You better run, 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 cause I'm living, living, living on my own time, baby Took me 